Uh, with your Bible open at Proverbs 31, I'd like to point out a verse here, verse number 26, concerning this mother that Solomon is writing about. And he wrote here that she openeth her mouth with wisdom. With wisdom. And the girls just sang a wonderful song. And uh, in, in, in a mother's love you'll learn of me. Many, I believe many children have come to know the Savior because of the love of their mom. And there's something that we know that happens when uh, a young wife gives birth to the first child, it happens normally, always, that first child, her heart changes. And uh, she then becomes a mother. It's a wonderful uh, occasion, and it's a, a change in life, and it's all of the Lord. And perhaps before she's uh, married, maybe she's just, I don't know, a real happy-go-lucky girl. She gets married, and then... She becomes a, a wife. But then when her child is born, she becomes a mother. When that happens, life for her changes forever. She can no longer go back to being that carefree single girl. She has a child, and it changes her heart. And I know there's exceptions to this, but as the rule of thumb, her heart changes and she becomes a mother after that. And it's so evident, isn't it? In the way that she talks and thinks. And it just develops and grows from there. And with each child, it just makes her better. And that's God's design. Now it says here in verse 26 that the mother has got all kinds of wisdom. And uh, that's an interesting, a very interesting comment. We know that when she became a mother, there was a mental, emotional change that took place in her heart. As I said, she, uh, she's affected for life. She's changed for life. This is not a short-term thing when she has a child. She becomes a mother for the rest of her life. Now, men are also, I believe, affected by the birth of the children, but not as much as the mother is affected. I think that... As a rule of thumb, men will often become more mature and established. There's plenty of exceptions to that rule, though. Don't we all know it? But generally, men will become more mature and established. Uh, but my question goes back to the, uh, to the mother. Where did this wisdom come from? How come she, she all of a sudden has wisdom? Where did that come from? And I believe the scriptures answer this for us. Today we're going to look at five secrets of a great mom. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 2, follow as I read please the last two verses, verse 14 and 15, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, that would be Eve, being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, there are people who take this verse, and uh, these two verses, and make them to mean that in order for a woman to be saved and go to heaven, she has to bear children, which is not what this is talking about. Salvation is one way only. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's only Jesus that can get anyone to heaven. There's a lot of good people in the world, I think, as far as we judge, you know, good and bad. There's a lot of good works that people do, again, as far as our opinion goes. But none of it counts for heaven. None of it at all. <coughs> only Jesus and Jesus only can take a man or woman to heaven. And if we try and come any other way but through Jesus, we'll be sadly disappointed. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, what do these verses mean? Well, what's the context? The context was the deception. You know the story. In the garden, how the, the devil came in the form of the serpent and deceived Eve. In fact, you know, when the jig was up and they committed sin and God came and uh, confronted them with it, she said right up front, you know, that the serpent deceived me. So she was fooled, hook, line, and sinker. He did a, a con job on her and she bought it. And that's the context we have here. Adam wasn't deceived. He was standing there watching this thing happen. He knew exactly what was going on. Say, well, why did he, uh, why did he commit the sin? You know, she took of the forbidden fruit and offered it to him. If he knew what was going on, why, why did he do it? Why did he take it? Well, it's my opinion only. But I think he didn't want to lose her. That's my opinion only. He was not deceived. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what God had said. He knew the consequences, and he did it anyhow. You might say he did it for the girl he loved. Now, you might say, well, that's a pretty lame thing, and I would be the first to agree with you, but that's, that's my take on it as to why he did it. Why she did it is very simple. She was deceived. She was absolutely deceived. He wasn't. So really, the blame is really on Adam, isn't it? She was deceived, and this is the context here, I believe. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from being deceived again in childbearing. Say, so how does giving birth to children save her from being deceived? Ah, my friend, that's where the mother's heart comes in. And women, when they give birth, become mothers, and mothers get smart fast. They have to. Mothers, they say, have eyes in the back of their head. They, you know, when the house is too quiet, they go looking for their kids. The mothers know the kids. They really, really do say, how do they get that smart? Oh, that's the ways of the Lord, isn't it? And it's a good thing, don't you think? Isn't it a wonderful thing that God has put such a sixth sense, such a wisdom inside mom's heart? And I believe she got wise because she became a mother. And along with the job, God gave the, the wisdom or maybe the instruction manual, whatever you want to call it. But she got smart in a hurry. Her heart changed. The day her firstborn came, she became a mother. And with that came this wisdom. And it grows and it deepens. And that doesn't mean that she knows all the answers to all the world's problems. It doesn't mean that. But it means that God gave her wisdom... And boy, you know, when uh, you know, the snake in the grass comes, mom's on the lookout. You're not going to fool her twice. Boy, she's going to be on the lookout. She's going to watch jealously over her children and make sure that they're looked after and fed and clothed and little bumps and bruises are kissed and band-aids put on them and all of that and above. This, I think, is where the wisdom came from. So because, uh, I'm sorry, 
before becoming a mother, the, the young lady, the young married woman, she could be maybe carefree, you know, but can be deceived by unscrupulous people. But as a rule of thumb, when she becomes a mother, there's a safeguard put in there. and God does it. And he does it uh, for a number of reasons, but I, maybe the first reason is for the children's sake. They need to have a very wise caregiver. That's where mom comes in. And I think that mom has got it hands down over any other caregiver. There are times when we have to put our children into the hands of caregivers. I understand that. But no one tops mom. Because God has made it that way. I think God's design is best, folks. And if we can possibly follow it, I think we need to. And so there's this mental emotional change that took place in her heart when she became a mother. Saved in childbearing means saved from being deceived. Now we all know that babies are a gift from God. God tells us that in Psalm 127.3 that children are an heritage of the Lord. So babies come from God. They don't evolve. They're a gift from God is what they are. And along with the baby, God gives the new mother a new heart and wisdom. And after giving birth to children, a woman finds exciting new desires towards the welfare of her child and a desire to raise her child the right way. All that just came when she gave birth. A gift from God. And that's why Proverbs 31 speaks of the virtuous woman. And that's why it says in verse 28, her children arise up and call her blessed. Now we had testimony here out of the mouth of babes. These are some of our own church kids here telling how much they loved and appreciated their mom and the, uh, the, the child's viewpoint. Isn't that refreshing to see sometimes? By the way, if you have a mom, either in this room or in this city or somewhere in this world, she needs to hear from you. She needs to hear you say how much you love her and how much you thank God for her. That's an important debt we owe to our moms. Now if you're here today and your mother has passed away or perhaps you never knew your mother, then what you need to do is give thanks to God for your mom. You wouldn't be here without her. Isn't that the truth? Hooray for mom. Well, a husband that becomes a father, if he doesn't allow his heart to change after the birth of his child, he may become frustrated over the changes that he sees in his wife because he will see her heart change and he may start accusing her of loving the child more than loving him and that's where a lot of family conflict comes from a lot of anger and other things we won't talk about the poor wife now faces a new devastating struggle she's got a helpless baby and an unhappy husband Maybe there are some ladies here that have experienced that. Gentlemen, we must understand God's design and purpose for his creation called woman. But the changes that happen in a woman's heart are for the best. They're God's design. And as we learn, as men, as husbands, as we learn to change along with our wives, we too fulfill God's purpose and design for us as men. And in the process, I believe, we'll find greater happiness and fulfillment than we ever thought possible. In Psalm 127, verses 4 and 5, it says, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, 
so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. I know some guys say, man, if I, my quiver was full, I'd quiver too. <laughs> Just some guy humor, I suppose. Forget that. Well, the Bible teaches us that a mother has a tremendous ability to build character into her children. Every mother knows they need to do that. A child left to himself bringeth his mother to what? Shame. Right. So we all know that mom needs to build character into um, the child, the son or the daughter. We all know that. And today I want to look at five secrets of a great mom by looking at five children of great moms. And so without further ado, let's look at the first youngster, a little boy named Samuel. So we'll go back to the Old Testament and find the book of Samuel. First Samuel, if you would. We're going to do a wee bit of Bible flipping, not a whole lot. But uh, we will be looking at a, a few different passages here. 1 Samuel. Now listen, if you're lost, just look off your neighbor. How about that? 1 Samuel. And uh, the story, really, you've got to read it on your own. But it's in the first two chapters. And we're not going to take the time to read it all. But I do want to read a couple of verses here for you. Here's a, a wife. Her name is Hannah. And she's a godly woman. She's got no children. Not for lack of trying. It's just God closed the door and the kids weren't coming. And year after year, and she's, she's getting quite concerned. And so she prays. Verse um, 10. She's in the temple here and she's praying. It says, And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And again, that's, that's something, gentlemen, that really only uh, another woman could really fathom and understand. You know, we read the words, uh, but even her own husband here, you know, said to her, am not, am not I better than ten children? And he was trying to comfort her. But he didn't understand, you know, the woman's heart. You have to be a woman to understand a woman's heart. Either that or you have to be God to understand the woman's heart. But here she was. She had no children. Uh, her husband had two wives. We're not going to get into that. And her, uh, his other wife had some children and was giving her, Hannah, a hard time because Hannah had none. And so Hannah's now as close to God as she could get in the Old Testament. That was right in there in the temple. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept. And she vowed, in verse 11, a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid but will give unto thine handmaid a man child then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life and there shall no razor come upon his head now you have to understand that in the context that last phrase it doesn't mean that she wanted him to be a long haired weirdo or something it had to do with a Nazarite vow it had to do with uh, again you'd have to understand the Jewish culture of that but it was something good let's say that and so she prays with all her heart and let's look now at verse 17 Eli the high priest was there verse 17 Eli answered and said go in peace 
and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And we'll just stop there. Samuel came in answer to prayer, and that's what she called him. That's what Samuel means. She prayed, God heard, and God gave. And when God hears, God acts. That's what it teaches us there in the book of 1 John. And if we know that He hear us, we know that we have the petitions we desired of Him. Again and again we're told in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, to cry unto the Lord, cry out to Him to seek God because He's there to listen. Hannah prayed and got Samuel and taught Samuel to pray. And if you follow the life of Samuel, he was a powerful man of prayer. Where did he learn that from? From mom. That's where he learned how to pray. Samuel became a prayer warrior and later in his life, you know, he said, he said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Talking to the, the children of Israel, God's people. Samuel learned to pray and he learned it, I believe, from his mom. So mom, there's secret number one. Teach your children to pray. Now in order to teach your children to pray, you yourself have to know how to pray. So I think I know how to pray. Oh, tell, tell us about it. Oh, well, it's very simple. You just fold your hands like this and close your eyes and say, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Amen. What could there be easier than that? Oh boy, you haven't even begun to understand prayer if, if you think that's all it is. You compare that prayer with the prayer of Hannah. Did Hannah go in the temple and get on her knees and fold her hands like this and say to the Lord, Now I lay me down to sleep. Is that how Hannah prayed? No! She prayed from the depths of her soul. And that's what real prayer is. When you get a burden, you take it to God. The Holy Spirit will help you. And mom, this is secret number one. And by the way, folks, all of us, this is secret number one for all of us. Learn how to pray. Learn how to pray. Say, so how do I learn how to pray? Well, the Bible will teach you. And doing it will help too. You know, if you want to learn how to swim, you've got to get in the water. Want to learn how to play piano? You're going to have to sit down at the keyboard. If you're going to want to learn how to pray, you're going to have to get on your knees or get on your face before God. And if you tell God how helpless you are, if you tell God how poor a prayer warrior you are, He will hear you because it's His will, His desire for you to be a prayer warrior. He will guide you and help you. So prayer is number one. Now, number two, Two, secret number two is just a few pages to the right, really. It's in the book of 2 Kings. So Samuel, then you get 1 Kings, then you get 2 Kings. And go to chapter 5. Chapter 5. And we don't even know this little girl's name. But boy, her mother taught her something. In 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Kings. Did I say Samuel? Yeah. You wouldn't believe that's the first mistake I've made yet, would you? Um, 2 Kings. Thank you. 2 Kings, chapter 5. Now Nahum, captain of the host of the king of Syria, they were the bad guys, by the way, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. 
means he had leprosy. Very nasty, deadly disease. It's a killer, folks. It's a killer. We won't take time to talk of it, but it's not something you'd wish on your enemy, even. Verse 2, And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. So here's this little girl, captive. She's like a slave. And here she is in Naaman's household. Verse 3, And she said unto her mistress, that would probably be Naaman's wife, Would God my Lord uh, were... Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria. That's back in Israel. Samaria was the capital city of Israel, by the way. For he would recover him of his leprosy. Imagine that. This little girl knew some things about God. This little girl knew a thing or two about the Almighty God. Verse, verse 4, one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel... And then the story goes from there. And so all we want to do is this. We want to point out a little girl who knew spiritual things. Here's a child that had been taught things about God. I wonder how she learned that. Well, we could speculate, but I'm going to speculate too. I'm going to tell you that mom taught her. Mom was often the spiritual teacher of the children in Israel homes. It was mom. Dad was off fighting wars or planting crops and doing whatever. And mom was raising the kids and teaching them the things of God. Here's secret number two of a great mom. Number one, the first secret is what? Prayer. Prayer. Say it with me. Prayer. That's secret number one. And by the way, all the other secrets won't work unless you got secret number one. Secret number two is to teach your children the things of God. Teach them the Bible. That's important. And mom, in order for you to teach them the Bible, you yourself have to learn the Bible, right? Or am I wrong? Can you teach someone something you don't even know? Chances are not. You have to know it yourself. That means, mom, you need to be under the, the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. You yourself need to study the Bible. I believe that if you take the Bible into your prayer closet and spend some time with God, you'll come out knowing a lot of stuff. Some exciting stuff, too. I know in my life, some of the most exciting truths that God has shown me has been in the prayer closet with my Bible. I believe when we get alone with God, God makes a wonderful teacher. And all we're saying here is the second secret to a great mom is teach your children things in the Bible. Teach them spiritual things. You might not think you can do it. You might think, oh, I don't know very much. I got the answer for you. Go to God because He knows it all. Amen. Go to God and say, God, I need to teach my children something. Show me something in the Bible I can teach them. How about that? That's a good place to start. Because it's God's will for the children to know spiritual things. It's God's will for mom to get involved. It won't take long. God will show mom some exciting stuff. Mom will take it out and sit down with the kids and say, Kids, let me show you what the Lord has showed me. And there we have secret number two. Let's move on quickly to secret number three. And uh, Samuel on the brain here today. First Samuel, we'll go to chapter 17. We're going to find a very familiar story. First Samuel 17. You all know this story. I'm sure that there's no one here that doesn't know this story. First Samuel 17. We have a, an unusual man in First Samuel 17. 
He was nine and a half feet tall. What was his name? Boy, that's a pretty weak... Uh... Okay, class, what was his name? Goliath. Goliath, yeah, right. Goliath, we all know this story. Nine and a half feet tall. And we have a hero. What's the hero's name? David. David. You know this story. And how David used his sling and took down this great big nine and a half foot guy. Brought him down to his face. Boom. David didn't have a sword, so he borrowed Goliath. And took off his, you know, upper portion. And held it up high. And uh, God used David to get a great victory for Israel that day. Everyone was afraid of this giant of a guy. And so the story we're going to pick up here in chapter 17. Look at verse 34. David said unto Saul, Saul was the king, thy servant, referring to himself, David, thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine in reference to who folks Goliath shall be as one of them seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God and David said moreover the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine and Saul said unto David go and the Lord be with thee and what I want to get across here is David's faithfulness he recounts only a few incidents, but there's many more incidents of David's faithfulness as a boy growing up. Now he had his problems. He, you know, he was a bit rambunctious. He had a nice uh, ruddy uh, look to him and uh, lots of uh, vim and vinegar in him. That's true, but he was faithful young guy. And he was faithful practicing with his sling as well. That was not a foreign instrument to him. Uh, when he was out there uh, watching over the sheep, he'd have a lot of time to himself. And he could have picked up a lot of stones there in the, the land of uh, Israel and practiced flinging these things at different targets. And he became good with the sling. Time came when he needed to defend some of the flock. God made sure that there was a couple of miserable animals that came to take of the flock. And yet God was with David and delivered those things into his hand. But David was faithful with the little things. And now he was facing a big thing named Goliath. In order to take down the Goliath, you first need to be faithful with the little things. Boy, there's some good preaching here, folks, in these wonderful truths in the Bible. Mom, here is secret number three, is teach your children faithfulness. Teach them to be faithful in the little things, in the little jobs, the tasks you give them to do. Maybe making their bed or cleaning up their room. Maybe running on errands for you. Teach them faithfulness at church. That is so, so important. We have parents today whose children are anything but faithful. They're all over the place, wayward as can be. And the parents, are say, they sing the same song. Where have we gone wrong? If you'll go back and put together the pieces, go back to the scene of the crime, you'll realize, didn't teach them to be faithful, never expected them faithfulness or uh, promptness, never taught them faithfully to go to church, never taught them how to faithfully do jobs, never taught them how to make their bed, how to cook, how to do their laundry, never taught them any of this stuff. No wonder they're not prepared for life. 
One of the secrets of a great mom is mom will teach the children faithfulness in things like tithing. How about that? Tithing? I teach tithing to my children? Sure, don't they get some kind of income or allowance or something? Most all kids do. You get a dollar, give 10 cents to Jesus. You say, what good's that going to do? It's going to give their heart to Jesus because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's what Jesus said. And if you take some of your treasure and you put it in Jesus' hands, that's what you're going to do with a part of your heart. You know what happens when you take your, your money that God's given you and you go buy lotto tickets? You give part of your heart away to the world and the world system. You're looking to the world to finance you, not to God to meet your needs. The lotto wicked ticket, the ticket wicked, whatever, is wicked for sure, but it's no place for the Christian, for the man or woman of God. Say, oh boy, I didn't know that. Oh boy, it's about time that we put away our trust in worldly ways and start putting our trust in our Heavenly Father that cares for us. If you all of a sudden got a big smack of dough, millions of dollars from old Uncle Zeke, passed away and left you with millions of dollars, you don't need faith anymore. You don't need faith. Your life will change. That won't change me. Oh no, it will change you. You will become target number one for every crook, for every thief, for every con artist, for every scam artist, for, for every man uh, that wants to steal your kids and hold them for ransom, for every relative you never even thought you had. They will find you no matter where on the earth you go. As long as you've got this big dump truck full of dough, they're going to want it. And so the worst thing you can do, no, the second worst thing you can do is buy a lotto ticket. The worst thing is to win. All you got to do is read the stories of the lives and families that have been absolutely destroyed by money. So, a little word to the wise there, but teach your kids faithfulness in tithing, in devotions. Teach them to go into their little bedrooms and, and get on their knees and pray. What if they're too old for that? Well, you got a little more work cut out for you, but you can still teach them. Now, we got to move on here. We're going to move on to secret number four. And for this, we'll go into the New Testament. We're almost done here, folks. I've been praying that God would use this message and touch not just the hearts of the mothers, but the hearts of the fathers, and not just the hearts of the mothers and fathers, but every heart here today. These are secrets, if you will, of a successful life. The first one is what? I can't hear you. Pray. Oh, pray. What's the second one? I think we got three different answers on that one. Let's try it again. What's the second secret? Right. Teach them about God. The things of God. What's number three? Faithfulness. Get ready for number four. It's in Acts. Acts chapter 23. The Apostle Paul is... Um, imprisoned, he's in a jail, and they want to, uh, the bad guys want to kill him. Let's put it that way. And so Paul had a nephew, and this uh, young man overheard the plans of the bad guys, how they were going to ambush and kill the Apostle Paul. They hated him that much. And so, we're going to pick up the story here in chapter 23 and verse 16. 
And when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him and prayed me to bring you this young man unto thee, who hath something to say unto thee. Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is it that thou hast to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldst bring down Paul tomorrow into the council, as though they would inquire something uh, of him more per perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for there lie in wait for him of them more than forty men which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now uh, are ready, looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain uh, then let the young man depart and charged him, See thou tell no man that thou hast shown these things unto me. We will stop there. But the chief captain spared, saved the life of the apostle Paul. Because a young man had the moral integrity to stand up for what was right. This young guy could have just said, oh boy, I hope he makes it. Oh, I shouldn't have heard what I overheard, but oh well, what can I do? I'm just a young guy. No, this young guy had the moral, the intestinal fortitude, intestinal fortitude. You ever heard that? Intestinal fortitude. We don't usually call it that. We call it another word. We say guts. He had the guts to stand up for what was right. And here's secret number four. Mom... Teach your children moral integrity. Teach them to stand up for what's right. What's right and what's wrong. Teach them to stand up. Even if it's not popular. Even if they risk losing something. Teach them always to stand for what's right. And you're only going to find out what's right. As you study the Bible. Amen? Amen. Quickly. Secret number five. For this we're going to go to the Gospel of John just back a few pages. Gospel of John chapter 6. We're going to find another young boy. Don't know his name. John chapter 6. Verse 5. When Jesus lifted up his eyes. Are you all there? John chapter 6 verse 5. And saw a great multitude. Sorry, a great company come unto him. He saith unto Philip. When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread. Okay, how much bread is that? Well, back then, a penny was a man's wages for a day, a working man's wages, a laborer's wages for a day. So two hundred days wages. What's a, a man w worth today? What does he make in a day? Would he make $100? More? Less? Let's say $100. Times 200. I think we're looking at 20,000 bucks here, aren't we? In today's economy. And Philip says, wow, $20,000 isn't enough to buy food for this. You know, wow, look at some of those guys. They haven't eaten since breakfast. Oh, they look hungry. And so one of his disciples, verse 8, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here, here he is, which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. We'll stop there. You know the story. 
how Jesus fed the 5,000, that's men plus women plus children, with a little boy's lunch. Who gave him that lunch? The little boy's on his way out the door. Goodbye, Mom. Where are you going? Off to hear Jesus. He's in town. Oh, you better take a lunch with you. Oh, Mom, don't need a lunch. No, no, you wait five minutes. I'm going to make you a lunch. Oh, Mom, the guys are going to laugh at me. No, you just wait right there. I'll put together something for you. You'll be fine. Doesn't that sound like a mom? <laughs> yeah. Aren't you glad this little guy had a mom? Yeah. And I think the, the moral of the story here is uh, Philip, he went up to, I'm sorry, Andrew. Andrew went up to the little boy maybe and said, Son, would you share your lunch with Jesus? And the little boy said yes because his mom taught him to share. Hey, that's mine! No, that's mine! That's mine! That's where the fights come from, right? You get, you know, two brothers, two sisters together. Boy, don't you have sparks and fireworks? Amen? Yeah, so common. This little boy was taught to share. Sharing. Boy, hooray for the moms that teach the children to share. Oh, there's lots we could say on that. But listen, time, time is taking a stand against us here today. But what we're saying is this. Five secrets of a great mom. And mom, if you want to be a great mom, you need to start on these things if you haven't already. If you're afraid your children may be, you know, too old or they're out of the house or something, it's not too late. You still have a mother's influence. For as long as, as you're around, you have a mother's influence on those children. Now, you may do the application of these truths a little differently to a 30-year-old rather than to a 6-year-old, but the basic bottom line is still the same. Teach them to pray. Teach them the things of God. Even if they're 40 years old, you can still get them on the phone and say, Honey, I was alone with the Lord today. He showed me something wonderful in the Bible. Can I share it with you? What's wrong with that? There's a great way to minister to your kids. What's that thing they say, a mother's work is never done? Man, man can work from son to son, but a mother's work is never done. I think that's how it goes, isn't it? Anyhow, we know she, she's never out of a job, we know that. Prayer, number two, the knowledge of the things of God. Number three, faithfulness. Number four, sharing. Uh, sorry, morals is number four. And number five is sharing. And I want to suggest to you that those are five secrets of a great mom. Any mom who teaches uh, her kids those five things is a great mom. Kids need those things today. Adults need those things today. There are so many adults today that are lacking on these things because they were never taught. Let's fix that, folks. Can we do that? You know, today would be a wonderful opportunity to get alone with God. And to do a couple of things. Number one, to thank God for the moms. I think everyone here ought to be praying for their own mom. And if your own mom is, you know, died, gone to heaven, find another mom and pray for that mom. Every mom needs prayer. Because it's not easy being a mom, a good mom. Listen, anyone, any woman, I suppose, can give birth to children. You know, there's some exceptions to that, I know. But any, any woman can give birth to children, but not every woman can really be a great mom. And that's what we desperately need, are great moms that have continued influence in their children from knee-high to head-high. 
And many of you moms here know the experience of looking at your children down here and then one day they're up here and then one day you're looking up at them. How did that happen? You're looking up at your little baby boy. Where, what did you do with my son? Who are you? How quick they grow. And no matter how old your children are or are not, you still need to be a great mom to them. I would suggest to you that if you're not doing these things, you're going to lose your kid. You'll lose your kid to the world. You'll lose your kid to the lusts of the flesh. You'll lose your kid to the devil himself. And if you're okay with that, well, then that's, you have to answer it before God. But if you're not okay with that, and if you're here, Mom, and you're thinking, boy, I wish I could do a better job, there's hope. Because there's a great big wonderful God that says, all right, Mom, you and me will partner together. And we'll do more in the lives of those children than we ever thought possible. How about that? Let's stand to our feet for prayer.